Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Man. Well, we've been in a study in the book of Hebrews, and today we're going to be jumping into Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, so if you have your copy of God's Word, whether it be uh, your physical Bible or maybe an app on your phone, you can follow along with us today. Statistically, there's a study that was conducted just a few years ago that found that 55% of Americans, that's more than half, didn't take all their time paid vacation time off in a given year. I just came off of vacation for two weeks, and so, um, you know, that, that, that was really nice to get away. But there are some people that don't take all of the vacation time or the paid time off that they have, and it amounts to something like $65.5 billion that are left on the table. $65.5 billion left on the table. Um, that's, a, that's a whole lot, isn't it? Then in another separate study... Uh, of a rest-related issue. It found that 36% of Americans don't get enough sleep in a given night. How many would say, I'm part of that 36%, I don't give enough sleep in a, in a given night? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, leaving aside the variety of reasons why these kinds of things uh, may be, accounting for these two statistics, it would, it would seem that rest is elusive for most people within our culture. The idea of slowing down, the idea of, of, of living in a, in a, a place where, where there is rest. And uh, I did not plan that this would be the, the subject that we would be in in Hebrews chapter 4 when I was planning out this study. It didn't occur to me at the time that I would be preaching this after coming back rested from vacation. <laughs> But the, the idea of rest, statistics, many people experience a problem with rest. And more so than just taking vacation time and sleep, the idea of, of rest goes much deeper. How many of you have ever uh, come home from your day at work, uh, you've, been, you've been doing it, but your to-do list comes home with you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It never seems like you truly get away. You try to settle your mind down, but it doesn't matter. Your mind continues running long after the day that you were supposed to work is over. And I think sometimes that's what we find. It's tough to, 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 to get rid of those demands, even if at times they're self-imposed. Anybody have a problem with self-imposed demands? I know that I do. We just can't seem to shut our minds off from thinking about those kinds of things. And I'm sure that, that rest might be uh, elusive for many people today. The rest that is described in the book of Hebrews is a little bit different, although I, I do think that it applies it's not a matter of taking more time off of work or getting more vacation time or getting more sleep. Uh, rather, this is more about an anxiousness that is oftentimes found in life. A restlessness that keeps people bouncing from one thing to another in a search for happiness or peace or, or joy or, or something that is kind of missing that causes this restlessness in our hearts, how many of you believe that we have a culture that is restless? A culture that has a restless heart. 
And I think that, that, that even as believers, sometimes we can slip back into that kind of culture of restlessness. So I've, I've titled the message today, Rest for the Restless Heart. Rest for the restless heart, because that is really uh, the, the, the crux of what Hebrews chapter 4, coming out of Hebrews chapter 3, Pastor Michael did such a great job with Hebrews chapter 3 last week, and uh, coming out of that subject and on the heels of that, we're talking about this example of rest. And, and on the basis of that discussion, there were several examples that, that were given from the Old Testament, none more prominent than a physical land, the land of rest that was called the promised land, also known as the land of Canaan. It was the land that had been promised when Abraham had left Ur of the Chaldees and, and had come many years before God had made a promise to Abraham. And although there was a, a group of people that were in that land, God said, one day you will, you will be the father of a nation and that nation, this land will be your inheritance. It was promised. That's why it's called the promised land. And in and, and, and this idea of this promised land, that, that the promise that had been given to Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, the, the Israelites held on to that. And although they had gone away into Egypt and God had provided that way to be able to, to provide for them during a time of famine, it was there that they found themselves in bondage and in slavery. And very much a place in Egypt represents a, a life spiritually, while that was physically spiritually in which people, they were bound and they were away from God, and yet God came and brought them deliverance and salvation and led them out, not only into the wilderness, but through the wilderness, and there we see an example where they're on the edge of the promised land, on the edge of what is considered to be a place of rest them. And we're going to get into this and describe this in a moment because Hebrews chapter 4, 3 and 4 use this illustration of the promised land and there they are on the heels of it and something happens in which rest becomes elusive to them. Hebrews chapter 3, instead of again the promise being filled, they were filled with fear and they didn't enter into the rest that God had promised them. In Hebrews chapter 3, the discussion began as the author was using Psalm 95 as a basis for, for his, what, he, what he was writing to the believers there, the Israelite believers in Psalm 95, and, uh, and, 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 it, and it continues this example of Israel entering into the promised, not entering into the promised land to make his point. And here's what it, here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 3, back up just a moment for a moment, then we'll get into Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, 18 and 19. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is kind of the foundation to Hebrews chapter 4 that we're going to get into in a moment. And it's the idea that the author is concluding this previous chapter of Hebrews chapter 3 by highlighting that the people did not enter into the rest, not because God was not providing it for them, but because of two areas, their disobedience resulting from their unbelief. Disobedience resulting from Unbelief. Keep in mind those two things, disobedience and unbelief. In many ways, they're linked together. And in many ways, they keep us from the rest that is so elusive. 
The restlessness that we experience in life oftentimes results from disobedience and unbelief. And as we take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, the author continues to build upon this with a warning. Notice the connecting word in Hebrews 4.1 begins with therefore. Therefore is connecting this to Hebrews chapter 3. So when you do your personal Bible study or devotions, when you see words like therefore, you need to read it in context of what comes before. That's kind of a, a tip for you when you're wanting to get something out of God's word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Again, coming off of this idea that the Israelites did not attain the promised land, they were not able to enter into it because of disobedience and unbelief, he now says to, to us, lest we fear that we, that we might miss out on the rest that God wants to bring to our hearts, we fail to reach it, let us fear. Again, this promise of rest still stands. Just as the land of promise stood before the children of Israel, so the promise of God's rest stands in front of us. But friends, it is not automatic. It's not automatic. So let's explore this idea a little bit because in verse 1, what we see is the availability of rest. The availability of rest. What is this rest that is being offered? The word rest in verse 1 is a compound word, kata pasis. Kata plus pasas, and it simply means to cease or to stop something. To cease or to stop something. Applied to God's rest, it means that we no longer have to self-labor in order, as far as salvation is concerned. So in order to, to be in right relationship with God, the striving of being obedient 100% to the law no, is one of those things that no longer has to be elusive. The striving and the earning and the trying to undo the guilt and the shame that we feel by our own efforts to try to figure out how, how can I be a good person? How can I do the right thing? How can I strive? And sometimes that's what religion is birthed out of. Religion around the world is oftentimes birthed out of these things that I must do. The, the things that I have to, to follow so that, so that I can say, well, maybe, just maybe when, when I die, I'll, I will go to that place of whatever it is. No matter what religion you look at, religion is based on man's effort and man's work in order to find a place of peace where they feel like when they pass, there will be a place of, of, of peace and they'll be in a place of whether it be this idea of nirvana as, as some or this, this place of rest or, or I'll be in this place of paradise. Oftentimes it's based on man's effort and man's work. But what the, what the word rest really means is to cease or stop. In other words, to recognize that God's grace is perfect. And that when I place my faith, again, unbelief versus belief, when I place my faith in Jesus for his salvation, it immediately settles my heart. And the restlessness and the urging I feel that I've got to constantly strive to please God goes away as I begin to recognize that oftentimes in the worship song that we sing, his grace is enough. 
His grace is enough. I got to say that for some who have placed their faith in Jesus, maybe you, maybe you came to that place and you, you gave your life to Christ and you asked him to forgive you of your sin, but, but since then it's so easy to fall back into this idea that we've got to continue to strive to please God rather than learning how to, to have rest in his grace. Rest in his grace. There's a rest that comes from that. We're going to build upon this in a moment. You see, Canaan was rest for Israel. It became an illustration of spiritual rest that's available to those who, who follow Christ. And it's seen in these two aspects. I've already kind of leaned into a little bit. The first one is salvation rest. Salvation rest. When we come to faith in Christ, we find a, a salvation rest. It's similar to what Jesus was alluding to in Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a wonderful promise in God's word, isn't it? And this is the rest of knowing that my sins are forgiven. That, that my guilt has been taken away, that, that I no longer have to hide in shame because Christ has forgiven me and now I know that I'm in right relationship with him. It's a consciousness of knowing I belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of rest, the first idea of rest, salvation rest, is a peace, a rest in our relationship with God. That my relationship with God is right. That by faith through Jesus Christ, I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm no longer in opposition against God. I'm no longer fighting this, this, this spiritual battle, fighting with God. But I am at peace and at rest with my Creator. That's the idea of salvation. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, I've made my peace with God. You ever heard anybody say that? I've made my peace with God. That, that, that's the idea. And some of you are restless simply because... You are not in right relationship with God. You have not made peace with God. There are many around our world, and perhaps some of you are watching online, some of you are in here, and you are restless in your heart because you know that your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. You are not in right relationship with God. You have not made peace with God. Your sin and your guilt and your shame continue to eat at you. They continue to, 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 to weigh down upon you. And you have a restless heart because you have not made peace with God. St. Augustine, in his confessions, the, the writings that he wrote in confessions, I love this quote. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But that's the truth. The truth is, is that, that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Until we find ourselves in a right relationship with God, we will continue to battle with the restlessness of our own hearts in which Jeremiah 17, 9 says that, that, that the heart, who, who can know it? Right? The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can, who can know it? Oftentimes there's a restlessness in our lives when we, are, when we are not in right relationship with God. And can I just speak honest with you today? Until you come to Jesus with your sin, until you come to Jesus with your regret and with your guilt and with your shame, you will never truly find rest. 
until you bring that burden to Jesus, until you recognize that, that without Jesus Christ and, 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 and his work on the cross, his blood, you will not truly find that peace in the guilt and the shame and the regret until you learn how to, to bring it to Jesus and get in right relationship with him. The second avenue, salvation rest, but there's also, and, and I believe this is for the believer, and this is a lot of what, what the writer of Hebrews is getting into here in Hebrews chapter 4, is it what's what I call submission rest. Submission rest. When you yield to Christ and you learn how to submit to Him and His ways completely, then you enjoy this idea of submission Rest. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 11 for a moment. Jesus had, had talked about, uh, come to me when you're weary. All those you are weary. But then he says this, there's, there's, there's something here. There's an exchange. Take my yoke upon you. Exchange the yoke that you've been living under and take my yoke. Submit to my yoke and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What, what is Jesus talking about here? What's well, a farming illustration to demonstrate the process of submission and how rest is described in verse 28 can be achieved. Apparently, when a farmer wants to train a younger animal, now I'm not a farmer, so someone might correct me, but when, in my study, this is what I came across. When you train a younger animal, you hitch the plow to one who is older and more experienced. Then if the novice simply follows the lead of the experienced animal, he also becomes good at plowing. The older ox does the hard part of the job. He carries the heavy end of the yoke and the responsibility to determine where to go and the tension of the younger ox pulling this way and that way before he gets used to the pace and the direction falls on the older animal. The more quickly the trainee adjusts to the, the leader, the easier it is for that younger animal. No longer does he have to guide himself. No longer does he have to carry the load by himself. He simply has to keep in step, and this brings rest, even if at the end of the day he is weary. And in time, they become a match team. I've got to be honest with you. As believers, there are some of us that that are restless in our heart and that are weary and heavy laden simply because we keep pulling against, we keep pulling against Jesus. Jesus is trying to lead us and guide us and wants to carry the weight of the burden, but we continue to try to go in our own direction. We, we're not submitted and we're not keeping in step with our Heavenly Father. We're, we're trying to get too far ahead. We're trying to go this way, we're trying to go that way, and we continue to pull against the, the grain of where we're supposed to go, and we can't understand why, even as a believer, we find ourselves frustrated. I don't understand. I didn't think it was supposed to be like this when I was following Christ. Maybe some self-evaluation needs to be done, and we need to ask ourselves, am I truly in submission to Jesus Christ? Am I truly in submission or do I continue to try to pull against the grain? When you try to pull against the grain, you're not going to experience the rest 
You have to be submitted to God's plan. And when we are submitted to God's plan, it's this process of finding rest. You see, the process of finding rest while we are still on this earth is to learn how to submit ourselves to the plan of God and to keep in step with Him. We lose a lot of energy when we continue to pull in our own direction. Earlier, we talked about the, having peace with God, salvation rest, but submission with God is the peace of God. Submission of God is when we experience the peace of God. There's one thing to be in right relationship and have peace with God. It's quite another aspect of God's peace that comes when we have the peace of God. Philippians talks about this. Paul in Philippians 4, 6 to 8, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and when you do that here's what it says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart that's your emotions and your mind how many have ever experienced restlessness in your mind I can't put it away in Christ Jesus and here's how important the mind is because Paul then moves on from that section on anxiousness and, and, and turning it over to him, guarding your hearts and minds. And he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Sometimes the restlessness as believers... And the lack of peace that we feel is because we simply have our mind on things that are not from above. We allow all of the earthly distractions and noise and chatter to get into our spirit. And we begin to listen to these voices that keep telling us, oh, they're there, this is so bad, oh, Look at this. Oh, you need to be worried about this. Oh, you've got to be wondering about this. Oh, you have no idea what conspiracy is going on out here. And oh, you don't know how bad it is here. And oh, I hear there's a recession coming and I hear there's more layoffs. And, oh, and not to be unwise, we want to, we want to stay. We've got to be, be wise and stay. At the same time, so many times we can find ourselves with our mind on those things and our mind not on Jesus and what he promises and the truth that is in his word and we find ourselves ourselves with this lack of peace and restless and pulling against the yoke. See, our circumstances oftentimes, Phyllis, that was the case with the generation of Israelites. Again, going back to that illustration in the Old Testament, here the Israelites are. They've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They've been, they've been brought into the, into the wilderness area. And during that short time before they are on the edge of the promised land the first time, they see how God has provided for them. He provides miraculously water when they had no water. And he provides for them manna from heaven and food when they had no no food and, and, and he comes and he's providing protection from them and he brings them to the mountain of God and demonstrates his power and brings to them the law and lays all of these things out and then he treks them down to the end of the promised land and here they are at the end of the promised land waiting to go in and they send out these spies in the land and here's the thing it wasn't that God's promises were not true the land of Canaan was everything God said it would be it was a spacious land 
It was filled with milk and honey and great produce. They even brought back some of it and said, wow, look at this. It was everything that God promised them. Except (laughs) there were giants. There were walled cities. There were mighty armies. Hey, wait a minute, God. This land isn't empty. There are battles in here. There are walled cities in here. There are mighty warriors and mighty people in here. And they allowed the appearance of what was before them to get inside of their mind and get inside of their head, and it took away their rest. It took away their peace. And it caused them to become disobedient because of their unbelief. And they weren't able to enter in because they weren't able to trust God. They lost their confidence. It was paralyzing the anxiety because it wasn't what they expected. How many times have we felt a leading or a nudging from the Lord and we start to go in that direction and then it seems like everything that is in front of us is anything but what we expected? How easily our hearts move from a place of rest and peace to a place of, un, of restlessness. When we begin to say, God, I thought it would be different than this. I don't understand what you're doing. Why do I have to face this battle? Why is this before me? And we forget who God is. And we suddenly forget his promises. And we suddenly find ourselves not at having the peace of God, but instead having a restless and anxious heart. Has that ever happened to anyone before? I think that's the, the part of human nature. The part of human nature is to be like the Israelites that stand on the edge of something that we believe that God has promised only to, to survey and check it out and say, well, that's not the way I thought it was going to go. I don't understand. And immediately the peace begins to leave and we begin to forget that God is greater. And we begin, we, we forget that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And we forget that, that God oftentimes will lead us in, but he will go before us in the battle. That he promises to be our front guard. And he promises us to be our rear guard. And he promises that he will go before. And that, that walls of Jericho will fall. And he promises that mighty armies will have absolutely no power or no ability Because he is with us and he is greater. And we stand from a place of victory as we sang earlier. How often we forget that. And the peace of God leaves us as believers. And we find ourselves wrestling with unbelief. And the promise of rest stands before us. So what do we do in those paralyzing situations? We do what Philippians 4 talked about. We, we move towards God in prayer. God, here's what I'm seeing. And I'm feeling a little anxious. And I'm feeling a little restless. But I'm going to bring this to you. Because there's a mountain in my way. And I don't understand it. But I'm going to bring it to you in prayer. And I'm going to bring it to you in supplication. But I'm going to come to you with an attitude of thanksgiving. Because you, you wouldn't lead me here if you weren't going to lead me through. 
I'm going to come in that way. And when we take those things to him, he begins to transfer to us. When we transfer our anxieties and our worries and our cares, and we bring them over to him, and as Peter says, we cast them on him, there's an exchange that takes place. He takes our anxiety. He takes our worry. He takes our burden. He takes our yoke, and he exchanges it with his peace. And he gives us his rest. Rest in Hebrews chapter 4 is not the absence of conflict. Rather, it's knowing where we stand and who stands with us in the midst of the conflict. Warren Wearsby in his commentary on Hebrews writes, It is by believing that we enter into his rest and by obeying God by faith and surrendering to his will that his rest enters us. It's no longer shifting from one thing to another, never finding satisfaction in anything. Rather, rest is available for us today. Rest is available for us today. There are some of you that need rest. Let's continue. I want to read Hebrews chapter 4, 2 to 7. It says this, For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Who were those who listened? Joshua and Caleb when they came back. They reminded the people, yes, there are giants in the land, but our God is greater. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They did not, it did not benefit them. The message they heard did not benefit them. I'm, I'm sharing a message of rest. <laughs> the message did not benefit them because they didn't listen. They were not united in faith. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter here it is again, failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There are two obligations we must understand if we want to obtain this rest. The first, to, to receive this rest, to obtain this rest, it requires faith. It requires faith. In verse 2, for good news came to just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Listen, to enter into that rest is to receive it by faith. It requires faith. Entering into the rest of God requires real faith, real faith in Jesus Christ. Paul defines this saving faith, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God continually because you received the word of God, which you heard from us, and you accepted it not as the human word, as it actually, uh, but as it actually is. Not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. Receiving rest, receiving rest comes when we put our faith in Christ, both from a salvation rest and from a submission rest. Now, in this case, a salvation rest is that I hear this message that rests from, from the guilt and the weight of sin, 
comes when I place my faith in Jesus Christ and I transfer my trust from my own self to try to, to make up for all the things that I know that I've done wrong and try to atone for my own sin and transfer that trust to Jesus Christ in his atonement. He takes on my sin and he gives me his righteousness. And in that, I have peace with God. It, it is this, this, this rest, the salvation rest that comes from faith. Now, let me talk a little bit about faith. Believing in faith is not simply a matter of intellect. Or, let me put it this way, intellectual agreement. Anybody know what I mean by intellectual agreement? That means that, that I say, you know what? What you're saying is right, and I agree with that. There's a lot of people that believe in God. If I, if I try to share my faith, I'll say, do you believe in God? And there's a lot of people, believe it or not, that say, I believe in God. But, but mentally, intellectually, believing in God is different than what is talked about here when it's receiving by faith what Christ has done. Let me, let me kind of address it in a moment by saying this. Intellectual faith is kind of like what James said in James 1.19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons have an intellectual agreement, yet that intellectual agreement or knowing that intellectual belief or agreement was not enough to bring salvation. They, they believe it. They know who Jesus is, but there was absolutely no submission by faith. And there are a lot of people today, even people who come to church, who say, I believe in God, but it doesn't translate into the kind of faith that brings about the transformation and the peace with God in their lives. Belief and faith is more than intellectual agreement. It involves a level of trust that translates into action. And one receives by faith, then takes action to receiving the true rest that comes by faith. Hebrews 4.3 enforces the importance of faith in receiving rest. For only we who believe can enter his rest. For others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. This rest is not new. It's been available since the very foundation of the world. And in that, he uses Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 about this idea on the seventh day God rested. That, that's kind of that, that idea of physical and emotional and spiritual renewal that gives margin and relationships, all of that has been provided before the foundation of the earth, and yet how many times have we not received what has been provided for us because we didn't translate that faith into action? You see, the author of Hebrews sees this as a restful, peaceful, sovereign God who is at rest and at peace. God still is at work, isn't he? So the rest that we're talking about is not a rest in terms of we don't work, but rather it's a restful position, a Sabbath rest that, that lasts forever. The second uh, period that is talked about from Genesis chapter 2 then is Hebrews 4, 5, quoting from Psalm 95, and again, they shall not enter my rest. It's the land, the, the land that gives ultimate rest. Their unbelieving rebellion kept them out of that, kept them from receiving that. Their lack of faith in God kept them from receiving what God had promised. And then a third time is referenced during the time after they had entered the promised land, much later on when, when Joshua had had them enter the promised land, they still had not received the ultimate 
ultimate rest. It says in Hebrews 4, 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken about another day after that. In other words, Joshua brought them into the promised land, but, but many there still had not received that future rest that is promised. There is a future rest that is for you and I that has been planned, and it's a final rest that has been planned for us, and God spoke about it centuries later. The writings of David in Psalm 95, verse 7 quotes from that. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, long after the people had experienced the rest in the land, particularly when David was, was battling those, those armies, and, and in his time period, they had, they had been living in a place where, where they were gaining victory over their enemies. And in the time of Solomon after him, there was great rest for, for the people in the promised land against fighting over their enemies. And yet that wasn't a complete and final rest. There is a, another rest that is coming, a restfulness in Christ that is coming, that is promised for you and I today. But he says this, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Today, salvation rest is available Today, submission rest is available. Don't harden your heart today. Allow the door to be open today. The time has not passed. You have not missed your last opportunity. The time is now, and it is received by faith, and that requires action. That requires action. Going back to Hebrews 4, 7, so God said another time for entering his rest. The time is today. God announced through David much of the later words already quoted, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Friends, I want to encourage you that God is calling today, and God is desiring to give you rest today. Don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Worship team, will you come? Ray Stedman, who's a pastor and teacher, makes a truthful observation, and I love it. This is what he writes. This is what he writes. He says this, delay hardens the heart especially when we are fully aware that we have heard the voice of God in our inner soul. Every shrug of the shoulder that puts off action on God's urging for change, every toss of the head that says, I know I should, but I don't care. Every attempt at outward conformity without inward commitment produces a hardening of the heart that makes repentance harder and harder to do. The witness of the Spirit must not be ignored. For the opportunity to believe does not last forever. Playing games with the living God is not only impertinent, but it's also dangerous. It's dangerous. Friends, can I encourage you? Don't put off. Don't put off making peace with God. Don't put off experiencing a rest that comes in peace with God. And if you're a believer today, and you've given your life to Christ and you've asked him to forgive you of your sin but you find yourself restless and lacking the peace of God perhaps it's because there are areas in your life where you are not fully submitted to him or his word there are areas in his word that you take a look at what society says what culture says and you continue to go in the direction of culture when God's word says something different and you say, well, that seems impossible. I don't know how I can, how can I walk in that? You can't by yourself, but you can by the spirit. 
And God wants to give you a rest for your restless heart, but it means a submission to Him. It means a surrender to Him. It says, I'm tired of kicking against the goad. I'm tired of, of, of fighting against the yoke. I have said I have peace with God. I want to yoke up with you, but I continue to walk in immaturity, and I continue to pull this way, and I continue to pull that way, and sometimes I pull to get ahead of you, and I'm not at rest because I continue to fight with you instead of walk in step with you. Some of you are not walking in step with God. And the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart. And he's saying, it's time. It's time to submit to me because I promise a rest, a rest that you've been longing for in your restless heart if you will submit to me. And there are some of you that need a salvation rest. You are not right in your relationship with God. Your sins weigh you down. And you need the salvation that Jesus offers and the peace that he offers and the rest that he offers. Don't harden your heart. Today is a message for you. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And we bow our heads. If you're online, I want you to pray with us. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, right now move in this place. Holy Spirit, speak to every heart right here. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, you are weighed down by your sin, by your guilt, by your regret, and you've not, you've, you've never said, Jesus, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me today. I, I, I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart and, and to take my sins and, and atone for my sins. I, I place my trust in you. If you've not placed your trust and your faith in Jesus and asking him to forgive you of your sin, if, if you have not made peace with God today and you need salvation, Will you slip up your hand today? I want to I wanna pray for you. I need salvation today. I've not given my life to Jesus Christ. I need salvation. If you're online, let us know in the comments. I, I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus today. I want to pray for a moment. If that's you, will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I recognize today that I am a sinner. I have been weighed down by my sin by my guilt, by my shame, by my regret. And there is nothing that I can do to make up for this guilt in my life. So today I surrender to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to cleanse my life today. To take my sin burden and my guilt and my shame. And I ask you, Jesus, for the salvation that you offer and the peace that you offer. I want to be made right with you. I give my life to you in faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to tell somebody. If, you say, if you're online, I want, you to, I want you to email us. You can also click in the bottom of the sermon notes, I gave my life to Christ today. Anybody can do that. Click that link, I gave my life to Christ, and we want to follow up with you and let you know how to walk with Jesus, to walk with you in this faith with Jesus. Secondly, if you're here, maybe you're a believer already, but you say, I'm lacking some peace in my life. There's some restless in my life. There's some areas I need to surrender to the Lord. Pastor, will you pray for me? Will you slip up your hand today? There's some areas in my life I haven't been surrendered. I need to surrender some things in my life. I'm lacking some peace. I need to surrender some things in my life. Again, if you're online, you can let us know in the comments so we can be praying for you. Jesus, right now, we just surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all. I 
I, I, I surrender these things. I'm kicking against you in these areas and I recognize that I've been pulling against you. And Jesus, I, 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 I submit. <laughs> it's hard, but I, I surrender. I submit to your way. I submit to your will. I submit to your plan. Lord, if, I, if, I, if I'm sinning and it, because I'm not following you, I, I ask you today to forgive me. Cleanse me. I surrender. I surrender. I need your peace. I pray, Lord, for your peace today. For the peace of God in the midst of circumstances that seem overwhelming. For your peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information, about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.